You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Typically, the podcast begins with me ranting about some asshole who's doing something typically assholey or engaged in some assholery. Uh, but this week, the podcast is going to begin with not an asshole, but a uh, pretty decent human being. Uh, just got the news as I sat down to record this week's podcast that Roger Ebert, a longtime film critic for the Sun Times, host of a TV show at the movies with his old buddy Gene Siskel, passed away today of cancer at age seventy after a long fight and a long and dignified fight. Roger Ebert, his Twitter feed and all the writing he's done after he was deprived of speech and ability to eat in the wake of uh, salivary gland cancer, was, was so deeply human and so deeply moving. And if you followed him on Twitter as I did and millions of other people did, he was just a spectacular writer and thinker. If you haven't ever been to his blog at the Chicago Sun-Times, you should go there now and do a little reading. But I just want to start this week's podcast by saying uh, that the world's going to miss Roger Ebert and – my uh, deepest sympathies go out to Roger Ebert's wife who was a spe- is a spectacular woman and they had a spectacular uh, marriage and uh, I ache for her right now. So beginning this week's podcast with not an asshole. But we will now shift to an asshole. It's an awkward transition from the spectacular human being that was Roger Ebert to the piece of shit on the shoe that is Ken Cuccinelli. Ken Cuccinelli is Virginia's attorney general. He's an anti-gay bigot of the first order. He opposes and helped to block adoptions by same-sex couples in Virginia. Virginia is a really terrible place to be a gay or lesbian person uh, or to be a gay or lesbian couple. Virginia has an anti-gay marriage amendment on its books that is the most draconian in the country. It not only bans same-sex marriage but also domestic partnerships, also any recognition by the state of anything, any device, any effort to create marriage-like rights for same-sex couples, which means in Virginia, a same-sex couple can't have a will because what does a will do where one person leaves their belongings to their same-sex partner? It attempts to create some of the incidents of marriage and in Virginia, a same-sex couple literally – can't leave each other their shit in a will because the state will not recognize or enforce that. Jonathan Roche, who is not uh, a ranter like me, he's a very sensible and sane and conservative gay writer, has pointed out that there's only one other class of citizen in the history of the state of Virginia who couldn't enter into private contracts with other adults. And those were, of course, slaves. Anyway, Ken Cuccinelli is in the news. He's Virginia's attorney general. He's running for the governor of Virginia and he is asking the courts to reinstate Virginia's sodomy law, which was struck down in the wake of the Lawrence v. Texas decision by the United States Supreme Court that struck down our remaining sodomy laws all across the country that not only criminalized gay sex but also straight sex. Straight people, you are sodomites too if you're not putting a penis in a vagina without a barrier. You are – Committing sodomy. Straight oral is sodomy. Straight anal is sodomy. Anything that isn't penis in vagina and open to procreation technically, legally is sodomy. And Ken Cuccinelli wants the courts to reinstate Virginia's crimes against nature law. In the case where this guy, straight guy, was soliciting oral sex from a teenage girl which violated the law, broke the law and he was convicted – But Ken Cuccinelli also wants to convict him of the crimes against nature statute. So he wants their sodomy law reinstated and he's saying, oh, this isn't about 
you know, attacking gay people. This is, you know, here's this case we have before us with a straight guy who was soliciting sex from teenage girls. And we want to go after him. And for that reason, just to get that guy, just to get that one straight guy, we want our sodomy law back. And then we have to trust Ken Cuccinelli and the rabidly anti-gay state of Virginia once they have their sodomy law back that they're not going to go after same-sex couples. Yeah, right, Ken Cuccinelli. Anyway, this is what's going on in Virginia. We're in an interesting place. You know, you've got the head of the Republican Party saying we've got to do more outreach to different kinds of people. We've got to be nicer to gay people. But then you have the knuckle-dragging right-wing bigot aspect of the Republican Party, also known as the vast and overwhelming majority of the Republican Party, showing their true colors at every turn, comparing gay relationships to child rape and horse fucking, which – more than one Republican elected official did this week on Fox News because two people who are adults and can consent to sex, having consensual sex, is just the same as Namble. It's just the same as ass-raping a seven-year-old, right? And now you have Ken Cuccinelli who cannot be trusted on gay issues who as attorney general in Virginia told Virginia's universities that they may not – have policies that protect the rights of sexual minorities on their campuses or in their schools that had violated state law. Ken Cuccinelli, this motherfucker, this asshole, he wants Virginia's crimes against nature statutes back. And we just have to trust him. And it's not anti-gay because he's against sodomy whether you're gay or straight, right? And gay or straight people can commit acts of sodomy. But only straight people have the option of non-sodomy sex. A sodomy law that is fair to gay people and straight people that makes sodomy illegal for everybody leaves nothing for gay people. All we can do is sodomy. But straight people have the option of vaginal and the option of lying. If the police kick in your door in Virginia and you're a man and a woman, you can say, oh, your honor, I just tripped and fell on my way to missionary position vaginal intercourse and landed face first in her pussy. But I was just about to leap up and stick my dick in her where God intended my dick to go. But if you're a same-sex couple and the police kick in your door, you can't say, well, you know, we were just about to have vaginal intercourse. There's a vagina in here somewhere. We're just digging around in the sheets looking for it. It is inherently anti-gay to even propose reviving anti-sodomy laws. And Ken Cuccinelli, when you're the motherfucker trying to do it, yeah, we're going to perceive this as an attack. And Cuccinelli is a last name. It's got cooch in it. It's just a last name that's not very common and it sounds a little vaguely dirty Anyway, and could get the Santorum treatment, I'm thinking. There could, it should probably mean something sexual and dirty. Cuccinelli. What would a Cuccinelli be? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. I'm not the one who came up with the definition of Santorum. My readers came up with the definition of Santorum, the frothy mix of lube and fecal matter that is sometimes a byproduct of anal sex. Maybe one of you can come up with the definition for Cuccinelli. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com slash Savage. Hi, Dan. Um, my question is about caring for my father, who is likely what you've been calling a gold star pedophile, um, as he starts to sort of descend into dementia. My father has three daughters, all of whom are estranged, myself included. 
But as his health has somewhat rapidly declined, we've all found ourselves uh, involved again in his life. He never abused, to my knowledge, either of us. Uh, we're all pretty frank about that. And I'm pretty sure that he has never abused anyone at all. But we're not really sure. Well, um, as we're going through this process, some of his porn is popping up on his computer as we're helping him with stuff around the house. And it's definitely psychologically difficult for the three of us to go through this. And I'm sort of wondering, do other people who are going to be involved in his care have a right to know about this? Um, or is this something that we don't need to share with other people? I certainly don't want to share it with um, my mother. You know, I just feel like she doesn't, it would only be a burden for her to know. But as he sort of declines, uh, there are going to be other people involved in his health care. And, and I just don't really know what we should do about it. There's a long and significant pause after you say you're pretty sure he has never abused anyone, dot, 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 long significant pause. Uh, let's hope so. There is a reason though, uh, perhaps good reasons, perhaps other reasons that you and your two sisters were estranged from your father for so long. Good on you for stepping in now uh, at this stage of his life when he needs you and needs your support to basically escort him out of this life. Uh, your only question seems to be what do you do about these other people who may be involved with his care? First, delete all his porn, get rid of all the evidence. You know, downloading, uh, owning, possessing child pornography is a crime. There's probably little point in throwing a declining old man with dementia into prison. So I don't see what benefit to society could possibly come from turning your father in. I think this is an instance where the just, if not the perfectly legal or right and the legal perspective thing to do is just to wipe his hard drive clean and get rid of this shit and do what you can to keep him from accessing the internet. You can shut the internet down in his house or put a password on it. But consuming child pornography creates demand for child pornography which leads to children being raped. That is why it is illegal to possess it or own it, certainly to produce it. But just owning it fuels the demand that leads to child rape. So you don't want, as you guys step in and take control of your father's life, you don't want him creating any more demand than he already has in his life. So block his access to the internet and get rid of whatever he's got now. And I don't see a reason necessarily to burden your mother with this. As for others, professionals who may be involved in your father's care uh, as he descends into dementia, it is not uncommon. Uh, and I'm sure the pros will tell you this, the, the, the pros that wind up surrounding your father, the end-of-life care specialists and hospice workers, for someone with dementia to act out sexually in wildly inappropriate ways to say things or do things that are uh, disturbing, um, sometimes People then say out of character, maybe your father will say or do things that are in character or he will disinhibit and will say things out loud about his sexual interest that are basically the truth. But it will be credited to dementia and losing his mind and I think you should allow people to make that assumption at this stage of your father's decline. I don't think you really need to worry. I think if you really want to prep the people who may be in your house, who may be around your father, who may be in a hospice or wherever else, you can say he's been acting strangely. Um, sometimes he has said and done things that are sexually inappropriate and so we apologize in advance if our father says or does anything in front of you that makes you uncomfortable. A pro will tell you they have seen this before. They're used to it. They know how to handle it. They know how to deflect it 
and it is no reflection on you girls, your father's daughters, or your mother or your family. It's just something that people have to brace themselves for when they deal with people with dementia. Very sorry that you're going through this, but good on you and good on your sisters that whatever lingering anger issues you have with your father, uh, however he failed you in life, uh, you're putting that aside right now and uh, being there for him and more importantly, being there for your mother and helping out. Good on you. Hi, Dan. I have a weird question for you because I've always wanted someone to answer this. I have this thing about how I have to fall asleep. Uh, it's been this way for probably, I'm 30 for at least 15 to 17 years now. In order for me to calm my mind down, I have to think about, and I'm a guy, straight guy, and uh, I have to think about a lesbian romantic relationship in order for me to completely calm my mind down and fall asleep. And it's like different relationships every night, different scenarios. Um, I'm really like, I know it's not completely sexual, but it just, I have no idea. I'd love to just know why I have to do this or if this is something that I've programmed myself into uh, doing. I think I should be angry on behalf of all my lesbian sisters um, that their relationships, that when you contemplate them, they're so fucking boring that they put you to sleep. Pepper Schwartz, who's a sociologist and sex writer and researcher at the University of Washington, coined the term lesbian bed death. Who knew that lesbian bed death was transferable in this way, that straight guys could put themselves to sleep contemplating being in a lesbian relationship, that this wasn't something that you jacked off about. As you went to bed, this was just something that if you contemplated being in a lesbian relationship for even a few minutes while in bed, you dropped off just like sex does. It seems in many lesbian relationships that Pepper Schwartz tracked, hence the coining of the term lesbian bed death. Why do you do this? I have no fucking idea why you do this. You're not hurting anybody. It's not making you into a lesbian. It's not harming any lesbian couples until now, now that they all, the ones who listen to this show have to think about this, it's going to harm them, the poor dears. Uh, but why you're doing this, I, I don't know. The human mind is a mysterious and sometimes impenetrable thing. And this is one of those times. We just have to acknowledge, whoa, that's fucking crazy. But if it works for you, fewer side effects than Ambien. So knock yourself out, literally. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Oddly Normal, One Family's Struggle to Help Their Teenage Son Come to Terms with His Sexuality by John Schwartz, who we had on the show a, a few weeks ago. The book is about John and his wife's efforts to help their son Joseph uh, adjust to being a, an openly gay teenager and John really digs into the science and the research on gay teenagers and how best to help them and what they need in their lives and what they need from their families and need from their parents in this book. It is invaluable to anyone out there who has a gay kid or thinks they might have a gay kid. You really do need to read Oddly Normal or have it read for you by John Schwartz and his son Joseph Schwartz who narrates the audiobook with him. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. My wife and I have a lot of problems being monogamous. Our friendship started when I was in a monogamous relationship with another woman. Our legal marriage in California came not too long after I slept with a boy. 
our marriage was reborn after we had a lot of casual three-way sex with boys and then nearly destroyed again when she fucked a girl in our bathroom. Now I have a friend who I am emotionally cheating on her with. We don't necessarily think that the problem is that we are horrible for each other, although we do have plenty to work on when it comes to communication, but we are bad at being monogamous. We would like to open up our relationship because at this point we really have very little left to lose. Um, how do we start? Monogamishimi, the, the whole idea of that is that you know two people are together, uh, they're committed, they have a great relationship, but monogamy isn't natural. Um, there's going to still be a desire for others, a desire for a little variety, maybe some sexual adventures, and an allowance for a little outside now and then, monogamish relationship actually strengthens the relationship because then they both don't have to pretend and they can be together without having this stress on the relationship of you know, pretending they don't ever want to fuck anybody else or never getting to fuck anybody else. But it doesn't sound like monogamishimi is making your relationship stronger. It sounds like it's making it weaker. There have been a lot of issues in our past that we were trying to pretend like we were into being mono- monogamish, I guess, or monogamous if you will. And I just feel like we have really nothing left to lose. If everything is just like balls on the table out on the open. Okay. Uh, You do have something to lose though. And that's each other. Right. But I think if we continue down this trajectory of pretending like we're monogamous, it's, it's, we're going to lose that anyway. Okay. You saying pretending like you're monogamous. Monogamous. Yeah. Well, we, we were under the guise of being monogamous for the last four years, and um, that hasn't been working. Okay, so for the last all. four years, you were you were monogamous lesbian with each other, but occasionally you both fucked guys together. Together, we had an agreement where we would hook up with guys, um, and that was it was exciting, and I think it was more exciting for her. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I couldn't. I think it really helped amp up our sex drives. Right. And our passion for each other to, to be in these monogamous adventures with other guys. But um, I'm too gay for that. I just I, c- I couldn't get down with fucking guys for that long. So uh-huh. um, that kind of started to fade over so, time. And the, the desire to do that anymore. The debate isn't over whether you should be monogamous or monogamish, but whether you're sexually compatible at all. If she's not going to be happy in a relationship that doesn't have a little dick allowance built in, and you're not going to be happy in a relationship with someone who needs a dick allowance. I, I, feel, I feel like I could be comfortable with her dicking around if I could pussy around. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the problem here is Oh, that so she wants, she wants buy off to sleep with men on the side, and she will give you permission to sleep with men on the side too, but you, it's not men you want to sleep with. Exactly. I, I think she understands that I don't want to sleep with men and um, it's harder for her to give me permission to, to be with women because they're, they're not safe. They're um, like, I can actually fall in love with these women in her opinion. Right. And, and it sounds like you have, you're saying you're having an emotional affair with someone else. So your wife has a point that, right. That, that her concerns have some, have some foundation. A little bit. I, I don't, I don't think I'm, I wouldn't at all say that I'm, I could fall in love with this, girl that I'm kind of emotionally cheating on her with. Uh, I, I just do enjoy the attention she gives me and the 
flirtatious banter. I and this girl is married too, so I, she feels really safe because I know she's not going to leave her mm-hmm. situation either. So it, I, I don't know. It it seems to work for me, but I've I've agreed to stop flirting with this girl, and um, I really I really want to honor that request because it makes her uncomfortable. I don't know. We're we're kind of in the negotiation. And what has she conceded? What has she agreed to? Uh, we have agreed to begin the initiation of pursuing a open rela- relationship where we're going to start off by uh, jointly trying to pursue another woman, a woman together and see where that leads. And then maybe we can start gradually adding in, uh, you know, maybe I go off and fuck a girl and she goes off and sucks a little cock and, you know see where all of this leads to see to kind of test the boundaries of what we're comfortable with. Okay. It sounds awfully complicated. <laughs> okay. You know, I like things to be, to be simple. Um, cause, cause I am simple <laughs> right. uh, and it does seem like you guys need to perhaps think outside the box or your boxes. There may be people who might be better sort of targets for you guys. There are lots of, couples out there who are seeking a, a, a female third and to get a female third and fourth where, you know, there, there isn't this relationship threat, you know, where there's the bi female with the straight husband who might regard a couple of lesbians coming along as having won the goddamn Powerball. Uh-huh. And I just feel like maybe there's a certain type of available extracurricular sex partner or partners for you too that doesn't bring the emotional risks of you forming an, a, a bond or a connection with somebody who you know who's maybe available to you in a way because she's a lesbian or is unattached or her forming some sort of bond to some stray single male who may become obsessed with her. And so maybe what you guys need to look at is playing with other couples that are male-female couples where the female is bi and those couples are legion. Like, do some sort of, like, life swap situation? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Okay. Where, you know, if she wants to bang the husband and you want to bang the wife, or all three of you want to bang, all four of you want to bang in a heap, that there is, you know, under, there are, there are limits on where that relationship can go. Because you're a married couple, they're a married couple, they're looking for a little bit of something to toss into their mix. You guys are looking for a little bit of something to toss into yours that's safer that isn't so emotionally right. fraught for both of you and where you're not yeah. expected to interact sexually with the dude. Sounds reasonable. That I, I really think that maybe you two should stop thinking of yourselves as monogamists or monogamish and start thinking of swinging. Cause when usually in the swinging environment, which don't, you know, there aren't a lot of female, female couples, not a lot of lesbian couples in, in swingers land, but in swingers land, the understanding is this is just play. These are not relationships. There are clearly defined boundaries and limits to perhaps contact or emotional involvement and anything that seems to threaten the primacy of the relationship, their marriage, your marriage, somebody else's marriage is out of bounds and not cool and not okay. That swinging is this environment where marriages are honored and kind of come first and people don't sabotage other people's marriages in a way. Don't undermine them. Although that can happen, of course, in a swing environment. It can happen on the bus. It can happen anywhere. But there's this understanding in swingers land, organized swinging, which, you know, there's a certain stigma attached to it and some people have hangups about it. But in organized swinging, there's this understanding that this is about couples coming in and then couples going out with the people that they arrived with. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the sort of 
universe you two need to be in where your relationship won't feel so unstable or, or, or threatened. That sounds completely reasonable. Just swinging sounds like such a skeevy word. It is, a, you know, well, for some people, non-monogamous is a skeevy word. For some people, lesbian is a skeezy word. There's a lot of perfectly wonderful and delightful people in swinging. And there's some scumbags, a lot of perfectly wonderful people in the lesbian bar a half a block from where I'm recording this and some scumbags. You just have to dip into any environment, find the good people and then leave with them. That's the way the world works. That's the way bars work and swingers clubs work and everything works. Right. I would ask you how to breach the swinging uh, Google it. world, but <laughs> Google, Google it. it. There's yeah. a swingers club in your area. A lot of them won't aren't cool with sort of male homosexuality, but they love that female homosexuality shit. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Good luck. And you need to put each other first. If your marriage comes first, and this is about strengthening and saving your marriage, you need to find a way to, for you both to have this outside contact that you both seem to want that doesn't undermine the foundations of your marriage. It doesn't make both of you insecure nutbags in the process because that insecurity yeah. and the nuttiness will end your marriage. All right. Fair Good enough. Luck. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 22-year-old lesbian uh, finishing up my last year in college. And I've been with my girlfriend for about three months now. And she is still not out to her parents. Um, we met on Tumblr because we're all steamy lesbians. Um, and, but we've seen each other a lot. Like she's come to visit me at college. Uh, and that was fine. But lately it's been getting really hard for me. It's basically like she, her parents are like extremely like fundamentalist Methodist. And she tells me that like there's no way that she can come out to her parents because she's living with them. She's dependent on them. Um, which I understand, and, like, I've been pushing her a little bit at first to try inching out of the closet, and um, she's terrified, and I totally respect that, but it's been really, really hard because I can't, like, write her letters unless they find it, and I can't, I have to, like, call her on a separate phone so that she's not, you know, like, they're not intercepting her calls, and it's just been really, really hard, and I really love her, and she's amazing, but I'm wondering if this is like the right time for us to be together and whether or not this is really going to work. You didn't leave a phone number. So I can't call you and ask you this obvious follow-up question. You say your girlfriend lives at home and is dependent upon her family, dependent on her parents who are right wing raving anti-gay bigots, but you don't say why she lives at home or, or how exactly she's dependent on them financially. Is she just a broke 20 something who moved back home and is leaning on mom and dad? Or is she in school? Is she in college? Are her parents paying for her education while she lives at home? And are you, by asking her to come out to these people three months into this relationship, 
asking her to risk her future, asking her to potentially derail her education and future job prospects and really perhaps derail the rest of her life and perhaps really screw the rest of her life up professionally and financially. If that's what you're asking her, if she's one of those got batshit mom and dad, fundamentalist crazy parents, I'm running them on a need-to-know basis. They don't need to know. They don't deserve to know right now that I'm a lesbian because they will retaliate against me. And so I'm going to not share that part of my life with them until I'm no longer dependent upon them financially. Uh, If that's what she's doing, that's completely rational and she kind of has a right to do that. And you at three months don't have a right to barge in. And blackmail her essentially emotionally or browbeat her or bully her into doing something that she is not ready to do, come out to mom and dad, and that may fuck her whole life up. You've only been dating this girl for three months. And let's say that this relationship runs its course in three and a half months as so many relationships do at your age. So many, most relationships fail, right, until you're in one that doesn't. You don't know which one that's going to be. So let's say four months into this, it's over. And she's come out to her family and they've thrown her out of the house and she's had to leave school and she did all that for you. Nah, it's kind of a lot to ask. So what I would do if I were you, if I were in this situation where I was dating somebody whose parents were assholes and I had to sneak around a little bit, I would talk to that guy how this is untenable, that this is unsustainable. You can't live like this for the rest of your life. And if you're going to be with me for the rest of your life, you really can't live like this for the rest of your life because I won't live like this for the rest of my life. But for right now, I get it. I get why it has to be this way. So for now, let's pretend that we're spies behind enemy lines. We're French resistance fighters and it's Nazi-occupied Paris and we're going to sneak around. It'll be very exciting. But after you graduate and you cash that first fucking paycheck, you're coming out to your parents because I'm done with this. I'll be done then with this. I will not help you then with the lies and the subterfuge. I will not live with you in the closet forever. But right now, I understand why you have to do this. Under duress, why you have to lie to your parents and hide from your parents. But in three years, when you've got your degree and you've got your first job, no more understanding, outing. You will be out. I won't out you, but you will be coming out if you want me to stay. At that point in a gay or lesbian person's life, graduated, out of the house, no longer dependent financially, a mom and dad, got a girlfriend or got a boyfriend – Then choosing to remain closeted and expecting your partner to play along with that bullshit, that's not about anything but cowardice. And sometimes it takes a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a partner, a husband or a wife, a spouse, a fiance to say bullshit. You're out or I'm gone to give somebody the kick in the ass that they need to put steel in their spine. It would be great if everybody came out of their own volition of their own sweet fucking time. But sometimes people – particularly people who've lived in the closet under duress, a lot of those people only eventually ever work up the nerve to come out if they have to come out under duress. They didn't come out to mom and dad when they were living at home because mom and dad were bigoted and they were afraid of what they might do. Now they're out in the world and they're going to come out because they're afraid of what their girlfriend or boyfriend might do. They're afraid of getting dumped. I think that's legit. I think you have a right to demand better of your partner at that point. But right now, lady, right now that's a lot to ask three months in, particularly if you're asking her to risk her future. So hold tight. Two years in, out of mom's house, out of dad's house, no longer depend on them financially, put your foot down. Right now, 
spies, French resistance fighters, Nazi-occupied Paris. Sneak around, enjoy it, have your fun. Put her on notice, though, that this fun will last only as long as she is in college and dependent on her family. Hi, Dan. I am a 28-year-old poly queer, mostly bisexual woman calling from New York City in the Northeast. I have an odd question. I'm a long-time listener, and I've never really heard you address this specifically before. I've, I've heard you laid it out with kinks, which is, you know, don't roll them out like air cancer, um, you know, present them as something as a bonus. Um, but what's your advice when it comes to poly? Uh, my situation is that last week I was out at a bar killing some time between, you know, work and meeting some friends for dinner, and I started chatting with this really lovely older gentleman. We talked about food and movies and work and the city that we live in, but the fact that I'm poly and partnered didn't come up. Um, He asked my phone number. I gave it to him, and we've been flirting over text and email since then. We have plans to meet up next Monday, but should I tell him that I'm poly ahead of time? I feel a little bit unethical for flirting with him over email since I don't know at all his stance on polyamory or open relationships. But at the same time, I feel like rolling things out over email, I'm worried that it would frighten him away and have the potential to kill something pretty fantastic. There are two competing interests here that have to be balanced. Someone's right to know. Someone's right to make an informed decision about whether they're going to see you and invest in you emotionally versus your right to roll out this information about yourself at your own speed. And and I don't want to equivocate or anything, but I, I think there are cases where other people's prejudices, other people will say, I would never date somebody who is poly or not monogamous. I would never date somebody who is pause. I would never date somebody who is kinky. I would never, never, never. And often those people are only inspired to reconsider those positions after they meet somebody that they're attracted to who's poly, who's kinky, who's pause, and they've gotten to know that person a little bit. Sometimes people won't get to know that person a little bit if the disclosure comes immediately. You know, if you say, I'm pause before the first date, there might not be a first date. So I think you can wait to disclose when you're going to be unfairly judged about being pause or being poly or being kinky. For a few dates, a little bit, you know, not a huge emotional investment. You can't string this guy on for six months. You can't go on four dates. You certainly can't fuck this guy, right? Same goes if you're pause, but you do have to disclose before you become intimate. But you can let him get to know you a little bit so that when you say, it's been great getting to know you, I really like you, there's something I should probably tell you about myself. I have another partner. I'm in a polyamorous relationship. Here's how it works. And then see what he says. If he was the kind of person who would never have in a million years considered dating somebody poly, would have ruled out dating anybody poly, he may look at you and say that. Say, you know, thank you for telling me before we got in too deep, but I'm just not willing to go there. But he might say, you know, I don't think that I would have dated a poly person, but I really like you. So maybe I should rethink this. Maybe I could have a bit more of an open mind. I'd like to keep exploring this. This is often what happens for my friends who are pause. Guys who would never date a pause guy – Guys who say no pause on their personal ads. I hear from them all the time. They meet somebody. They go on a couple of dates. Then the guy does the absolute right thing and discloses before they become intimate. And suddenly the decision they'd made 
previous to getting to know this pause person, I would never date somebody pause, is colliding with this desire for an attraction to this person who's pause. And then what gives way at that moment? What do you do when you're that person? Often people then think more deeply about their prejudices and why they have them. They realize the guys who are negative, who said I'd never date a positive guy, that pause guys who are who know their status and are on drugs and treatment are less likely to be infectious and actually perhaps safer sex partners than guys who think they're neg but aren't. So could be the case for you here. He may be the kind of guy, he's an older guy you say, maybe he doesn't never met anybody who was poly, doesn't know anything about it, would never in a million years get even get to know somebody who was poly, would just dismiss them as gypsies, tramps and thieves, but because he liked you and got to know you a little bit, went on one or two dates with you and then you did the right thing and disclosed before you became intimate, maybe he'll rethink his misconceptions and preconceptions if indeed he has them. Maybe you'll go out on a couple dates and roll it out and he'll say, hey, me too. I'm Polly too. Awesome. Let's Polly fuck the shit out of each other. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I am a 20-something living in Los Angeles, uh, straight, and I have not a question about sex. The relationship I am in, the sex is incredible. Um, it's the best sex of my life, actually. Um, the question I have for you is more about the relationship and love side of things. So I... I love this girl. I've fallen in love with this girl, and um, I'm terrified that when I tell her that I love her, that I'm going to freak her out, and I know that it's probably a good thing. She's, she's mentioned to me before that she wants to take things slow, but she, she talks a lot about um, the future and with me and that this is something important in her life, and she can see it being something long-term and uh, that she sees it something as something long-term. So, yeah, man, uh, maybe I just need some courage. I don't know. How should I approach this? When is it a good time? Tell her without telling her. Tell her without using the word. I don't mean through your actions. Show how much you love her. She has said that she wants to take it slow. And here you are having feelings, uh, strong feelings, and this desire to say, I love you. But you want to show, demonstrate at the same time that you are sensitive to her concerns, which are about going slow and not getting too wrapped up in each other too quickly. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can do both. What you say to her is, there's something I want to tell you, but I'm, I don't think based on some of the stuff you said to me in the past that you want to hear something like this at this stage of the relationship. But just know that at some point I'm going to want to say it. And uh, you let me know when you're ready to hear it and then I'll, I'll wait to say it till then. And you'll have said it, but you'll, will, you will have said it while also saying, I realize that this is too soon for you. And so I am being a little cute about telling you without telling you so I can acknowledge and you can know how strongly I feel for you, but also that I feel that your feelings are also important. And then you win. Then you win. Then you've told her while demonstrating that you're taking her feelings into consideration, that you're trying to be sensitive to her desire to take it slow. And you said, I'm going to say this and I'd like to say it now, but I won't. You'd be surprised how well that works. I know that works well because that's what motherfucking Terry did to motherfucking me. Because when Terry and I met, I was so not ready and I did not want to take it quickly. And I had just gotten out of a sh- – uh, hi, ex-boyfriend. I just gotten out of a relationship um, that where we went a little too quickly and it was well, – we weren't right for each other. And so when this other person came along, I was like, whoa, tap on the brakes. I don't want to hear it. And we didn't say it. But he said I want to say it but I'm not going to because you don't want to hear it. And that's what you should say to her. Because if it worked on me, it will work on anybody because all of my experiences are universally relevant to everyone, which is what this show is about. Hi, Dan. This is Danielle from Chicago. Um, Just a quick question. 
I was talking to my sister recently who lives in Georgia and just moved in uh, to a new house with her fiancé, and he has two kids from a previous marriage, um, a boy and girl, 9 and 13, I believe. And we were talking, long story short, we were talking about nude photos, and they were going to put some up in their bedroom, and I asked if that would be weird for the kids to have nude photos in their new bedroom. And my sister said, well, no, not really, because they've seen their dad naked. And I was like, all right, well, what do you mean? Like, oh, well, he walks around the house naked sometimes, and they're kind of used to nudity. Is this weird? I mean, they're 9 and 13, and I asked her to give me an, an example of, like, what she means when the kids have seen him naked. And she said that he'll go and wake up the kids for school and he'll be butt-ass naked. I mean, I have nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with nudity. And if people want to walk around naked, that's totally cool. But if I was 13 years old again, I would not want to see my dad's wang waving in my face as he's waking me up for school. So I just wanted to get your opinion, uh, see what you thought about it. Um, I don't think your son would want to see you or your partner's dick uh, before he went to school. So I don't know. <laughs> just let me know what you think. As the parent of a teenager, I, uh, a high school kid now, I can tell you that one of the most difficult things about kids this age is getting them out of bed and out of the fucking house. And I think if... You know, you appeared at your kid's bed every day to wake them naked. Your kid would be out of the house like a fucking shot. So maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe it's just a strategy to motivate his kids to get the fuck away from him. And I bet it's an effective one. You know, you asked me if I think it's weird. Yes, I think it's weird. Um, I don't uh, parade around naked in front of my son. My parents didn't parade around naked in front of us. But different families have different rules and comfort levels and maybe these kids were raised in a family where nudity, parental nudity was a thing that was waving in front of their faces and so it's not weird for them but it's very weird for me and it's very weird for you. But do I think it's weird? Oh yeah, I think that's fucking weird. Um, I actually use nudist parent as shorthand for the kind of parent who is too comfortable with sex with their kids. You know, you want – and not all those parents are naked. You know, when I talk about the nudist parent, usually what I mean is we've all had friends. When we, we had friends when we were kids, uh, hopefully friends, and your parents weren't like this, whose parents were a little too hip and cool about sex with their kids and their kids' friends. And it was really icky and awkward and uncomfortable and it made you want to die because they were being like, Ooh, yeah, I'm sure you kids are doing it. It's just like, shut up, nudist parent. We're not those kinds of parents, Terry and I. It's good to have boundaries with your children. And after a certain age, like three or four or five tops, one of those boundaries is we don't all get to see each other naked, right? It's actually one of the things I think is hilarious about the whole debate around circumcision. I know this is a random tangent, but usually when it comes to circumcision, people will say, I want him to look like me. And I always think at that moment, I don't know what my dad's dick looks like. I haven't seen it in at least 42 years. And when we get together for Thanksgiving or a family reunion, we don't all haul our dicks out to see to, – to spot the family resemblance. It's our noses that all look very similar 
Are dicks? I don't know. I don't know if my brother Eddie has a dick. I've never seen it. We can't end on my brother's dick. He listens to the show. So we will now transition back to Naked Dad. I think this is fucked up. But not my family, not my dad. I don't get to make the rules in that household. It might behoove you though. It might be the good and decent and kind and concerned third party thing for you to do to ask your sister perhaps to talk with the kids about whether this is bothering them or not. Just to check in with them and say, my family had different rules about nudity or different, you know, standards and practices around about parental nudity. I don't my dad never was naked in front of me. She can say it sort of in a non-judgmental way like that. And then if the kid offers, yeah, I wish my dad wouldn't be naked in front of me, that would be nice. She can then go to her new partner and say, I don't know if you realize it, but you're making your kids uncomfortable. I don't think she should say to them, this is icky what your father's doing. It bothers you, right? She shouldn't go in with leading with shame. But she can't just raise the subject. This wasn't the way we did it in my household. And if the kids turn to her and say when their dad is out of the room, I wish this was not the way we did it in our household, then she can talk to her new boyfriend about it. But if the kids don't have a problem with it and dad doesn't have a problem with it, I don't see why you should have a problem with it or I should have a problem with it. My dad isn't showing up at my house naked. I would have a problem with that, but not my family, not my business. Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 335. As a member of a profession that's often fetishized, I want to call your caller with the dental finish to please reconsider her plan. These are professionals in their workplace doing their jobs. In my workplace, we have a whole section in the employee handbook about how to handle inappropriate sexual advances. And believe me, none of it is anything any of us want to deal with. Additionally, who exactly does she expect will be cleaning her teeth? I'm in my mid-30s, and I have never had the dentist actually clean my teeth. He comes in at the end for a minute or two to check on everything after the often matronly hygienist spends a good amount of time cleaning my teeth and chatting about her grandkids in the weather. Is that really the scene she wants while her remote-controlled butt plug is vibrating away? Hey, Dan. This is uh, a dental student in New York City. I implore her not to do it. The main reason being that it's dangerous. The next time you go to a dentist, I encourage you to look at all the stuff on the tray, the instruments. You know, there's going to be needles, burrs, drills, carbon instruments, scalers, all that jazz. What they all have in common is they're super sharp. When you don't wield them properly, they can do a lot of damage. And it's exceptionally hard to wield them properly with a squirrely, squirrely patient, one who, for example, has a butt plug in. Hey, Dan. This is to make a comment about the lady that said that she is looking for a kinky dentist. Well, I'm moving to Ohio in May, and even though I'm gay, it would be totally awesome to do that. I mean, it would be a moment of, hey, Ma, look, no hands. (laughs) More than welcome, anytime. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. And coming soon, the new optional Savage Lovecast Magnum. As I announced last week, you will still be able to get the regular 45-ish minute version of the show with ads, just like you always have been, and for free. But there will now be an option for people to subscribe and throw us a few dollars to get the Savage Lovecast Magnum, which will be twice as long and no ads. More info coming soon, a website coming soon, and the Savage Lovecast Magnum coming soon. And 
the Savage Lovecast Micro. Still available, always available. No changes coming to the regular podcast. 206-201-2720, that's the number. Give us a buzz. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.